0: Today, if you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 is where we're going to be spending some time in God's Word today. And as you are turning there, uh, first uh, allow me to say thank you to Pastor Allen. For the privilege to share god's word today it's always an honor to do so in his stead i hope you'll be mindful to pray for him and his family as they're experiencing some vacation time and rest uh, this weekend i also want to thank you as i serve as one of your national missionaries with the north american mission board um, you heard some inclination about my uh, ministry over the many years in the military service and I'm thankful that God allowed me to serve in those capacities. In many ways in a missionary as a chaplain representing you as Southern Baptist. And I continue to do so now with the North American Mission Board. Uh, all this will be about 15 years serving. Uh, currently in the capacity of the National Missionary for Church Planting in Military Communities. Uh, and that couldn't happen without your commitment, your prayers, and your devotion. Uh, and then lastly this morning, I want to thank you for the time and attention uh, it will take to absorb God's word as I seek t- to share it this morning. I-, I will say to you this morning that uh, uh, I was uh, very pleased when Pastor Allen called me uh, and asked me to share on this particular day. Uh, in the progression, it's always a privilege and an honor uh, to share particularly on uh, this day in our nation because of what it represents for us. Uh, and immediately, I'll, I'll say to you, with, uh, with just in a couple of hours, uh, God spoke into my heart and He said, You're going to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And I was like, Lord, let's not do that. Everybody knows that passage. They're familiar with that. They'll, they'll, they won't even care. That's just, that's just old news. We, we need to do something fresh, God. He said, Boy, did you hear me? I said, Yes, sir. I heard you loud and clear. And then, over the progression of these days in preparation, I, I, I mean, I, I committed to the passage. I began to do the normal things that, that I do in preparation as I've learned to do so over many years of experience, education, training, all those things. And something just felt a little different as I've been walking through the preparation up to this day, I mean, God would give me pieces and he would whisper here and there and he'd say, look at that, pay attention to that. That's gonna fit somewhere, but I'm not gonna tell you where. And even last night, I'll be honest with you, as I, as I settled down uh, to rest, uh, my, my wife asked me a question. She, she probably will remember this. Kathy said, well, are you ready for tomorrow? And I said, I'm as ready today as I'm gonna be for tomorrow. And there was this this sense of hesitancy in my voice Because I'm not sure, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not sure what God has planned or in store for you in light of what I'm going to speak to you today. That makes me a little bit unnerved, a little bit anxious. Because usually, like I said, I have a confidence expectation. I know where the message is going. I know where center target is, and I'm making a beeline to some of that. But God spoke to me very clearly in light of this passage and and some of the learning. And he said, boy, this is not about you. This is going to be about me. And I'm going to have to get you out of the way in order to do what I want to do. So I want you to be patient with me this morning. Listen in light of that. Understand that I am trying to clothe myself in humility today as I begin to share and as I call you to respond to what God says. Uh, if I were to offer a title for this message, uh, I would call it The Highs and Lows of Godly People. That was already mentioned to you all ago in the welcome, and He had no idea unless he somehow heard what was preached this morning. I don't think he did. The Highs and Lows of God's People, of Godly People. We get real excited about the highs. Oh, when the celebrations come. Oh, it's gonna be a glorious time. Can't wait for that to happen. We don't get as excited about the lows, do we? We don't cheer as much when God chooses to walk us through the difficult times, to purge our lives, to cleanse us. We don't get excited when he chooses to humble us but that's exactly where I'm going this morning I believe God is calling us me first you as a congregation us as a community a city as a nation to humble ourselves before him before we get there let's let's begin with one of the highs that we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. It'll appear on the screen behind me there. You follow along uh, in the version that you have before you to read. Beginning in verse 1, it says, When Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests were not able to enter the Lord's temple because the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. (laughs) That's pretty high, isn't it? Oh, man, if we could come to church expecting that to happen Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, wouldn't that be incredible? This is really, in some regards, what we look for as God's people, for his presence to show up, for him to reveal himself, for him to bless us with his holiness, That's the gold standard, if you will, of experiencing God along the life that we live here. It's the blessings. But that's exactly what we lost in Genesis chapter three. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it created this separation between humanity and God. As we read God's word, it says he used to come down from his throne in heaven and walk among us with Adam and Eve there face to face and share time with them in the garden. But sin ruined all of that. And the thing that we desired most was spoiled. And so now God sometimes has to manifest his presence for us with the purpose of judgment and correction. You remember that happened in the garden as well. He came down on his daily routine looking for Adam and Eve. Adam, who are you? And then there was the declaration of what had happened. Sin. And God removed himself from us for an extensive period of time and now we long for that long for that long for that if we are his people now as I read this high mark in second chronicles chapter 7 verses 1 and 2 this is actually the second time that God manifested his presence with blessing in a short time frame in this section of scripture right here let me flip back to chapter 5 verse 13 listen to these words the trumpeteers and singers joined together to praise and thank the Lord with one voice, much like we just did. They raised their voices accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and musical instruments and praised to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And it says the temple, the Lord's temple was filled with a cloud, and because of the cloud, the priests were not able to continue ministering For the glory of the Lord filled God's temple. It's extraordinary to see what happened. Imagine that, if you will, that that two times right here in just a a short time span. The first time here is it's described. They were singing and praising God. And the folks on the platform, the priest assigned to, to play the instruments and to lead the people and to sing out. It says, God's presence was so extraordinary and manifested in, so, in such a real way that they, they couldn't even stand up anymore. They had to lay down on their faces. If you know much about fire and smoke and the fire falling down? They did the low crawl to the door to get out of the smoke because it was so intense in there. You know, that's what they teach you if your house catches on fire, You're right? A little practical way. Stop, drop, and roll. Get out of there. It was God's presence was so manifest that that's what they had to do. The guitar, the drummer, the singer, the said, We hadn't seen it like this. We hadn't seen it like this. Let me describe for you the historical context now. Let, let's put some of those pieces together to understand how we got to this point. This is the dedication of the new temple for the nation of Israel. Okay, but we pan back to Genesis and there it is in Genesis that separation occurs and it gets so bad that as you read over in chapter eight in the book of Noah, or excuse me, in Genesis about the story of Noah, God said it's got so bad that we're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to reset. We're gonna have to destroy the whole earth and the only people that are gonna be spared Is Noah's family and we'll see if that'll correct the problem and we'll get to going again as you know time progressed on Abraham's call from Ur he goes into what eventually will be the promised land he has two sons you know their names Isaac the son of promise and Ishmael and this divide continues Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and it's Jacob's clan that winds up going to Egypt during the drought. There's this major crisis, not just affecting where Israel is or God's people, but across the land. And they migrate down into Egypt, and amazingly enough, God uses one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, you know that story from Bible school. Hopefully you do. Vacation Bible school taught you. Joseph, because of his position in leadership, orchestrated by God, saves his people. And then they wind up in slavery for 400 years. Moses leads them out of slavery into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And then they begin to form as a nation. The people of God along this journey on this timeline, experiencing highs and lows, highs and lows as they go, and then they decide they need a king. You might think that's a high, but it wasn't. It was a low. As a nation, they looked at as a people and said, "God, we want an earthly king. We want." A king like all the rest of the nations have. Give us one. And they looked around the crowd and they picked a the guy who was head and shoulders above the rest. His name was Saul. He was very tall. You could see him sticking out. And they said, that must be him. Let's make him king. God said, I don't think you really want to do this. But they wouldn't listen. He said, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. But know there will be consequences. This ain't going to shake out the way you think it is, but we'll go with that sure enough, it takes a bad turn. Fortunately, God raises up David, a man after his own heart, to take Saul's place, and then Solomon is born to David as a measure of grace, and he becomes king. And it's in his kingship, in his period of time, that we come to 2 Chronicles, where he's had the privilege of building the new temple. He's called everybody together and they are going to throw some kind of party. History has set the stage for a new high in Israel. It's the time of the annual feast this year. The annual feast is coming, and Solomon says, hey, we're going to dedicate the temple at the time of the annual feast. That's a great correlation. We always come together this time of year anyway, and we want to celebrate. Let's get everything ready. And then he does three things. He calls all the people to Jerusalem, the whole nation. The Bible says from the north all the way to the south to the border of Egypt, everybody was called to come to Jerusalem for this celebration. And then it says, He humbled himself before God in the presence of the people. What do you mean by that? Here's what he did. They had this beautiful facility. The most extravagant they had ever seen as a nation and as a people. And he built a platform. Probably something like this. Not much bigger than this if you do the measurements there right out in the center where everybody could see. And then he, the king, Solomon, the one who's the leader over everybody, walks up on the platform. And then the Bible says he knelt down. And he raised his hands toward heaven. And he cried out to God to help them to hear them and forgive them this is the king the one who bows to no one you've seen the movies you watch tv you know how they treat kings they bow to no one except a greater king solomon bible says the wisest man who ever did and ever will Live. gets on his knees before God and humbles himself so that everybody could see and watch because he knew and he realized who God is. And then the Bible says he prayed. He poured out his heart in prayer to God. Now I'm going to be real careful with you here today and I'm going to make some correlations about that nation and our nation today. And I want to be careful because there's some people I think sometimes that, that make more of this than it should be. There's this idea called replacement theology. And if you don't know anything about that or don't understand that term, that's fine. Don't worry about it. But the basic concept is that there are people that believe that the United States has become the new Israel, and we're the representation of that, that people of God in a new day. I'm going to tell you, I, I can't buy all of that. I don't see all of that there, but I do see this. There are some consistent correlations across history with the way God treats nations. He holds them all to the same standard, And if you look across the cycles of history and time, even from Genesis until forever, I believe God will continue to deal with nations. He will let them rise up and he will let them fall according to his purposes. You hear me? He will let them rise up and he will let them fall according to his purposes. And our responsibility is to Act as individuals and as a nation, just like King Solomon. We must humble ourselves before the Almighty God to fulfill his purposes. This dedication took seven days. That's something else, ain't it? That was the time of the annual feast. So they went through all those regular routine and rigors celebrating The annual feast. And then it says on the eighth day, they called a solemn assembly. They changed the posture a little bit. And then the scripture says they went another seven days. Fourteen days they came together. They set aside everything, even beyond what they had planned, in order to dedicate themselves to the dedication of this new temple and to honor God, to ask him for his fire to fall, to show them his glory. Boy, I don't know that I can appreciate more the selection of music and the things that we sang today that are prayers, that tee up the reality of this scripture. God, let your fire fall down. God, show us your glory. My fear is that we forgot so much As individuals, as a church, as a nation, what it looks like, some of us might not recognize it. Oh, but I'm going to tell you, you can't help but recognize it. And we wouldn't have enough sense to know what it is to respect it like we ought to today. We need to humble ourselves. And that word is plural for a reason. It takes us collectively cooperating together as God's people to honor him to do so. Now, let's, let's go to verse 14. This is the verse you know. It's, it's famous in, in Christian circles. Probably next to John three sixteen, Psalm 23, Jesus wept. I know y'all all know that one, right? This is one, probably in the top five, at least in the top 10 of most noted passages in Scripture because it's one of those great high points. But we must look past the high point in celebration to realize There is a low point recognition here as well. Let me read verse 14. You see it here on the screen. It says, And if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let me offer you some peculiarities about this passage as I outline it. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to zoom right in on that aspect of humbling yourself. Because I think that's the key today for where we are as the people of God, as a nation. Uh, In the version you just saw on the screen there, the uh, English Standard Version, the if there that appears is a very small word. And actually, it doesn't appear in the in the original language of the text. That's an inference by the translators, by the interpreters, building on what has come before, what has preceded it. Uh, now, I think that's a good interpretation. I think it's a good reminder that it's there. But uh, so that if you read this verse by itself, you'll understand what all is represented. The first word in the New American Standard or the Christian Standard Whole Version is "and." And it it builds off of this idea of if. There's an expectation created by the word if. Now, let me explain what I'm talking to, to you about a little bit more as we go back into chapter six and review. If you were to review Solomon's prayer that he prayed there on his knees before all the nation of Israel, over 10 times he uses this word if or when or some rendering of it as it culminates in his prayer Pleading with God. Asking God to hear and forgive. Asking God to hear us when we get off course. To forgive us and bring us back into alignment with his will. The word if has two classifications. There's the classification of impossible. The impossible category. And there's the classification of the possible category. Okay. The impossible category could be exemplified something like this, something my dad taught me when I was a little boy. He used to say to me, son, if a frog had wings, he wouldn't bump it through your end every time he jumped. Some of y'all heard that before. But what that does is demonstrate the classification of impossibility and says this reality is never going to exist because God didn't create frogs with wings. So the reality is that that frog, every time he jumps over his life, he better get used to it because he's going to bump his rear end. The other classification, though, is the classification of possibility. When you make a statement, it is usually followed by a correlation to a win. Or a then. If, when. If, then. And in this passage, it is the second classification that is accentuated here. And it opens up for us as God's people all the possibilities that are ours. As children of the eternal king and servants of the most high God. If. If. Then when. If. If. Then when. But we got to live by the if. We've got to make choices in relation to that. This word has been used in many songs, many prayers, many poems across the years. Uh, It's been a subject of significance for us in our human experience. Some of you may know the old poem by uh, Kipling. I won't quote it all to you, but there's a phrase in there that accentuates humility for us he's trying to teach his son what it means to be a man and he says to him one of the lines is if you can learn to walk with kings and yet remember what it means to be a common person you will be a man you will act like you're supposed to oh that we would learn to do that and we would follow that pattern across our days if if and in that first phrase in that point it says my people know that that m there is capitalized that's intentional that's a reference to god and he alone gets those kinds of capitalizations when we use proper pronouns in our english language okay and that conveys to us a sense of ownership, a sense of responsibility, a sense of devotion and dedication, a covenant to us because he has chose to do so. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. The refrain in chapter 5 was because of your loving, faithfulness, and kindness, God, to us, we can be identified as your people. He says, if my people, the ones that I choose, the ones that I lift up, if, then. Now, we often want to run past this first phrase here, about humility. and we want to get to the prayer and seek His face and turn from their wicked ways. But I submit to you today, folks, it doesn't work that way. So I study scripture to even drill down on this more and more, we first have to set aside our pride. Our pride as individuals, our pride as a nation. Lord, that we would have leaders like Solomon who would get down on their knees all the people could see and cry out to God I'm not talking about preachers I'm talking about presidents and vice presidents congressmen and governors and mayors oh if we could get leaders like that that would do like Solomon has done I think God would pay attention now, pretty quick, we want to start throwing rocks and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. You tell him, Mendel. But guess what? We live in a democracy. And if I understand the way this thing works and the way we've defended it for 245 years, we accept some responsibility for putting him in those places of leadership. Okay? And that means that that same kind of humility is going to need to start with us and those expectations are going to have to build in our own personal lives before we can expect them to walk in that similar way. And in fact, if God would be so gracious to us that people people would play that out in their lives, And be so afraid as, as leaders that we, as God's people, would call them out on it if they didn't. But we've come to expect a whole other norm here. If my people, the people who I've chosen, and then he goes on to say in the next phrase, who are called by my name, these are the people that embrace that chosenness, that identity that he renders to us in other words it's a choice on your part that's where I'm going with this he chooses us and then we must choose and identify with him to bear his name God gave his name to Moses if you'll remember in the old testament that's where we got the rendering of of Yahweh he said you go tell him I am sent you and then Yahweh emerges, Jehovah, all kinds of other names. We have a incredible registry of names that we use to refer to God, this Holy One. Throughout the Old Testament it's depicted well, but when we come to the New Testament and begin to read, we get one name. One name under heaven, and it's the name of Jesus that is rendered to us. And He is the one identified as our path to the Holy God of Israel. And if we want to identify with him and bear his name, if we want to be the Jesus ones, if we want to be Christians, the Christ-like ones, as they refer to that group and act, then we sure better act like it. And that starts with humility. He calls us to humility. My people who are called by my name we've had a lot of fun over the last week or so in my family last sunday we had a family reunion on my mom's side the whole gang as much as could could gather with us gathered up down at our place we had good food and told memories fellowship caught up with each other been two years since a lot of us had seen each other because of COVID. Then yesterday, my dad's side all gathered up. It's our tradition, the first Saturday in July. We all gather up. Same thing. Great food. Lots of memories. Catching up with one another, celebrating. It lingered that it was it was four thirty five o'clock before we finally settled down. I said, Well, I guess this party's come to a finish. Let's make our way home tomorrow i'm going to the perkins house that's my wife's family and again we're going to collect our clan together we're going to have some good food we're going to visit with each other collect up on some things and just celebrate how good it is my people they bear my name or we're blood relationship in some ways and i choose to identify with them Take that small inclination of what that's like. Maybe it's been like that for you over the last couple of days or long weekend or two or three days. You're doing some of that and got some plans to celebrate and gather up. Compare that to this celebration that lasted 14 days. (laughs) And then make that leap to the future when God calls us all home to that great getting up mornings family reunion when we all come together at his feet in heaven and we humble ourselves before Him in worship. Can you even imagine what that's going to be like? Whoo! Good night. But it starts with the word if. And across that trajectory, you must humble yourself. Oh, we like the, lo- the highs, don't we? But we don't necessarily get too excited about the lows. But I'm going to tell you, in God's created order, you can't have the highs without the lows. That's just the way he put it together. We got people leading us to be a great nation. They're concerned about that, how great we are. I'm going to tell you, we need to repent of that, and we need to be a grateful nation under God, before God, first, and great will take care of itself. We have forgotten how to be a grateful nation. We have forgotten to lift up how blessed we are before God and come together. You don't believe me? Today is our annual feast, celebrating our nation. And look, look where we are as a people. Oh, I applaud you for being here. Congratulations. You're at least off on the right foot. But look where the rest of the nation is in comparison. We forgot to listen to the call. Our leaders have not given a clarion call for us to come together and humble ourselves before God. There's a new temple being built. And we're going to see it when you read Revelations. It's going to be a coming together like we have never seen before. And this is going to pale in comparison. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, humble themselves. I want to give you a list of passages in case you think I'm amiss here. You can go read them later. I'm going to highlight them. Maybe jot them down that accents this idea and need for humility in our lives if we're going to call ourselves God's people. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, verse 19 says, It's better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to be proud and divide the spoils. Micah 6.8, another familiar passage probably to many of you. What does he require of you? People of God, oh man, what does he require of you? To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 says, Jesus speaking, Learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Sometimes we wonder why we're always churned up. and It's simply because we've not chosen to walk humbly like Jesus. Philippians 2, chapter 3. But in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Husband, how you doing with that? Wives, how are you doing with that? If you want a strong Christian marriage, you do that, and God will honor that. Colossians chapter three, verse 12 says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I love that rendering. Most of the time, as a warrior, we want to talk about Ephesians 6. Oh, oh, oh. that's the way Tim Allen does, you know, on the shows he, he, he oh, oh, oh. Ephesians chapter six, put on the whole armor of God. And we need to do that. There's another uniform here, gentleness, humility, love mercy. As a military member, I got a whole closet full of uniforms, ones for various occasions. I got combat stuff, things that I go out there and crawl in the mud in with, and we train in that correlation. I got what they call a day-to-day uniform. It's a working uniform. And then I got some pretty fancy uniforms. Woo-wee, I'm telling you. These things dress up and sparkle. The Navy loves that white. It's got all kind of glitz and glitter. They let me walk along beside presidents and that stuff if I need to. The key is knowing which uniform to wear at what time and on what day. I put all that pretty white stuff on. It's no good in combat. I put that combat on where I'm supposed to be doing something else, and it gets in the way and gets pretty bulky. I'm going to tell you, folks, it's not an either-or. We don't get to pick if we want to wear the uniform of humility or not, or in it's it's increments that go along with our dress. Yeah, we need to put on the whole armor of God every day, but we need to be dressed in these clothes as well. James, Paul tells us that in Colossians, James reiterates it, chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 5, he tells us again, clothe yourselves with humility because God resists the proud. And just to come back and circle back around, let's finish off with those words in red that Jesus said. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. Whoever exalts himself, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The words of Jesus Christ our Lord learn from me, take on my yoke, demonstrate humility. C.S. Lewis said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Excuse me. Yeah, I got it right. I wrote it down here where I wouldn't forget it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. See, as Lewis is a godly man, that's a pretty good sentence to take with you today. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. As I told you earlier, you're a child of the eternal king, servant of the most high God. You never need to back up from anybody when God sends you out there to do his bidding and his tending. That don't mean that you get to jump to the front of the line every time. That you get to put yourself in front of others. In fact, Jesus has taught us the exact opposite. The night before he died, he humiliated himself before the disciples by washing their feet. It upset Peter so mad that he said, Lord, you're not going to do this. And what did Jesus say to him? Hey, if you won't let me do this, if you won't, Let me humble myself and humble you by washing your feet. You can't have any part of me. Humility is the key that goes in the door that turns the rest of the activity that allows us to pray in a way that God will give his full attention and allow us to seek his face, to come into his presence, and then choose to turn from our wicked ways. time is fleeting this morning and I realize that I've pressed you hard probably already with some of the expectations I've created. But I want to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something very specific that God's put on my heart and I don't again, I don't know what he's going to do with this in these moments or in the next few weeks. but I think it's what we need as individuals, And as a nation, if we want to see God show up, if we want to see the fire fall, if we want to see his glory, if we want to see revival on an extended basis sweep across our land and possibly across the globe, we're going to have to do some things like this. I'm going to ask you to give up some of your time. Again, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because this is my request of you this morning if you're a believer here today. And then I'm going to try to accent it with a closing illustration. For the next 14 days, and if you've listened close enough, you understand why I picked 14 days. That's not just a a whim, not just a, a number out of the air. For seven days, there was a holy feast, there was a solemn assembly, and then there was seven more days. Before this ever happened, before God showed up like he did in his house. Fourteen days in the morning when you get up, I want you to brush your teeth. And I want you to go get your Bible. And I want you to begin the day by reading Job chapter 37 through 42. Before you eat breakfast, before you have your coffee, before you do anything else, I want to ask you to read Job chapter 37 through 42. And if you pay attention to those words pretty quick, you'll get a pretty good dose of humility to start your day with. Because it talks pretty clearly about who God is as he reflects that to Job at the end of that book. Then at lunchtime, you mean there's more? Yeah. At lunchtime, and this may I don't know if you you get a 30-minute break every day. This may take up most of your lunchtime. I I don't know. But I'm going to ask you to do it. At lunchtime, before you eat your meal, you say a blessing. and Then I want you to read Psalm 119. The whole thing. Probably take you about 20 minutes, the whole thing. But it gives a clear rendering of the significance of God's words and his expectation in our life. You'll find verses there like, Lord, hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Lord, thou art my portion. Help me to serve thee. Lord, I am resolved to do the right thing to my very last breath two weeks, I want want you to read that at lunchtime. And then as you come to the supper table that night, gather family around if you can or if you're eating by yourself. you do it by yourself, but focus on Colossians 3, and I want you to read that whole chapter where God shows us and talks about it through Paul's words, what it means to live as God's people in this generation based on what he did through Jesus Christ. And then before bedtime, before your eyes go to sleep at night, I want you to read Revelations chapter 21 and 22, where God shows what he's going to do at the end of time, when, wants his people, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, then it's going to be something. It's going to be something God has promised it in His Word. I don't know if you're ready to do that. I want you to pray about it. And I told you I was going to give you a closing illustration, and then we'll be done. Some of y'all may have noticed this when I set it up here today. Um, y'all going to get the bonus, because I, I either run out of time or I just forgot down at the first service. But I took it out of my pocket, and I set it up here to try to, to try to set this in your mind today. You can't see this from where you're sitting, I know most of you can't, uh, but it's it's a little bottle of Tabasco. A little bitty, tiny bottle of Tabasco, just enough to to fit in your pocket. Now, most of y'all probably don't know the history of where these little bottles came from. But legend has it, the United States Marine Corps is responsible for these little bottles and I'll tell you the story. If you got time, if you ain't got time, just go ahead and leave, we'll we'll finish without you. (laughs) They they started making these things called MREs that they fed to us. You heard my legacy talked about a while ago and I'll tell you there's only legacy there because God has done something with this whole country boy. But I joined the Marine Corps just as they were finishing up the old sea rations and I was a part of the first group that got to eat these MREs. Uh, The government labeled them that as an acronym for Meals Ready to Eat. I'm gonna tell you the Marines have thought a lot of other names for them and they're not pretty. I won't go into all that here in this story. But what happened over time In order to consume these particular delicacies that we were being provided for uh, as dehydrated meals to keep us alive, lots of calories, and it will keep you alive, but there are other consequences too. Marines, in their cargo pockets, in the side of their uniforms or whatever, they started carrying bottles of Tabasco sauce the bigger bottles. I mean, every Marine just about, you could find one, and if he lost his, he could ask the Marine next to him, hey, you got some Tabasco sauce? And they would take that thing and douse stuff, all that thing. It would change the flavor of it and make it more tasty. Well, s- supposedly the Tabasco company heard this story and they realized that Marines were making these purchases and they were carrying all this extra weight around and it would juggle in your pocket and sometimes that bigger bottle, it'd rub on you or whatever. And so they started making these smaller bottles and put them in the MREs on contract with the government so that every meal that was served had just a little bit of Tabasco in it. So if you chose to do so, you could doctor that thing up and get it down. The reason I tell you that story today is because when you put that Tabasco on that MRE, Just like Jesus, it changes everything. And I'm telling you, if you'll do what I ask you this week, next two weeks, and start pouring God's Word into your life with those passages that I outlined for you, I think God will honor that, and He'll begin to make a change in us as individuals, so that when we come here collectively together and we demonstrate that flavor of humility in our lives before him, then he will open up the heavens and begin to pour himself out. He wants to. It is his great desire God. He is sitting up on his seat in heaven, looking out over the throne of heaven, just waiting for if. If people if my people that's the invitation today is that you would respond to the if as God's chosen people identify with him live up to the name by which you are called and humble yourselves now I realize most of the time I've been talking this morning I've been talking to believers the body of Christ But there may be someone who's walked in here this morning who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Maybe you wandered in off the street. Maybe God prompted you by his providence to be here today. Maybe you're watching online and for the first time you've realized today, I've never humbled myself before God. And that again is the first step. Much like the process we described here, you must humble yourself before God. You must admit that you're a sinner that you have not lived up to God's standard and you need his forgiveness. You call out to him through prayer and seek his face and you turn from your wicked ways today and God will save you for this eternity that I'm talking about. In just a moment, we're going to have the invitation. We're going to have our pastors come and stand here in the front and they'll be ready, ready to greet you And if you need Jesus as your Lord and savior, you come and take them by the hand and say, I'm ready to humble myself today and surrender my life to Jesus so that he will be Lord and I can live in accordance to these expectations. That's where it begins. If you're a believer here today, I don't know what you need to do in light of what you've heard. I can speculate some, but in each individual situation, I can't know all that God wants to do in your life or what your needs are. But I knew though this, if you will humble yourself, that God will respond as he did here. What will you do today? What will you do? Where will we go from here in this generation in this season so the nation will see? Maybe stand up and pay attention to what's going on down here. And then we see an echoing God move across our country so that we all fall down and worship him pray with me in like fashion to that degree as our pastors are beginning to move forward now our worship song leaders are going to come we're going to sing again to God I pray that as you've listened today, you've heard God's voice, that there's a need for you to humble yourselves, that you'll do that. It's not easy. It goes against everything in our sinful nature. Oh, but what a change it makes when God sees it and pours out his grace. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for our attentive ears that have heard it expressed. I ask God that as they have heard your word, Our minds and hearts have been touched. Lord, help us to turn away from our foolish pride. Help us to see that we don't need to force you to bring us to our knees if we will just get on our knees and cry out to you. And God, may your chosen people, as we exemplify those distinctions and those qualities, may there be an echoing and a realization that spreads from house to house, table to table, life to life. where we agree to come together to acknowledge you as Almighty God. Lord, like Solomon, call out to you today and ask you to hear us and forgive us by the mighty name of Jesus because of what he did for us on the cross by shedding his blood in Jesus name we pray and ask these things